Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Good morning, church. Hey, um, I'm going to do the best that I can. Uh, my daughter, Willow, she was uh, in her sleep t- speaking in tongues last night, I think, so um, the majority of the night, but we're going to have a good time this morning. This morning, we're kicking off a brand new series called Advent Unwrapped. And we're entering into a wonderful season, just a great season steeped in rich symbolism, compelling church history, which is what we're going to talk about today, and cherished traditions. But year after year, we become more and more accustomed to our customs. We recite the same stories, we relight the same candles, and we rewatch the same movies and revisit the same themes. Our symbols become disconnected from their meaning, and our time honored traditions turn to rote practices. This Advent, we want to peel back the layers of our traditions and tear away the shiny and glossy veneers and go deeper to uncover the true gift and majesty of the Incarnate King. And this morning, I want to kick off this season with a message entitled, Add What? It's a simple idea, really. I want to pose just a few questions, and hopefully we can answer them this morning. Here's the questions in rapid fire. What is Advent anyway? Where did these words come from? Hope, love, peace, joy. And why are they any more important than any other words? Why do we have to light the candles? And what's the purpose of this tradition anyway? Anyone in here have these same questions? You can raise your hand. Be shy. Don't, I mean, don't be shy. It's okay. There you go. A couple really like mm, elbow hand raisers there. Didn't want to show anybody. But maybe you've been talking about Advent all of your, ni- your life, but you've never really understood what the true meaning was. Or you've come and you've grown up in the church and the tradition of the lighting and the candles and families coming up to do the liturgy has always been a part of what church is to you. But now you're intrigued and you're wondering, why do we do that? Is it biblical? Our hope this Advent season is that this wonderful tradition of coming together to read the Advent liturgy and to light the Advent candles hasn't simply become religion and tradition to us. And that going deeper through this series, we would rekindle our passion and with this tradition, not just because of our memories of it here at TCC, but because it leads us back to the real reason why we do them in the first place. And that's to show our love and affection to the one whom this season is all about. So let's dig in. I want to start with a quote from a fascinating book written by Frank Viola and George Barna called Pagan Christianity. This is a great book. This book explores the roots of our church practices, all right, and it points out all of the practices within our church that aren't really biblical at all. In fact, quite the contrary, as many of our practices are actually adopted from other pagan religions and modified to fit within the context of the Christian church. And in this book, there's a quote from J.C. Ryle, a 19th century English writer and minister who says this, Experience supplies painful proof that traditions, once called into being, are first called useful, then they become necessary. At last, they are too often made idols, and all must bow down to them or be punished. Now, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this Advent tradition that we have of lighting the candles is, is bad or an idol, per se. But I am saying that there's truth to this quote, and that sometimes our traditions were meant to serve a purpose for a certain time and for a certain crowd, and that they were useful and necessary for a season or for seasons, but that in time, if we're not careful, that they can go from a practice meant just to be an aid for making a point to becoming the focus. This Christmas season has become as much a cultural tradition nowadays as a religious one here in America. 
The Barna Group did a study a few years back that shows that 7 in 10 adults say that they still uh, primarily celebrate Christmas for religious reasons. 70%. But when it comes to this season and being fulfilled, Americans say that the Christmas season is about going home or bringing family home to them. Nearly three-quarters say spending time with family is what makes this holiday season fulfilling. 72%. Just over one in ten say connecting with Jesus or God is how they find fulfillment during this season. 13%. To me, it looks like the Advent season is already beginning to lose its focus. Now, I'm sure many of you guys have heard this story that I'm about to tell, but I'm going to share it anyway because I think it actually illustrates the point of traditions and practices so well. A husband and a wife were in their kitchen, and the husband is sitting at the kitchen table reading the newspaper while his wife begins to prepare a ham for dinner. The husband's watching the ham make this, uh, or watching the, man, the husband's watching his ham. That could be, uh, get you on the doghouse right there real quick. The husband watched his wife cut off about one inch from either end of the ham. And so he asked her, why did she cut off the end? Saying that that's, that's a waste of some really good ham. And she said, well, that's the way that my mom prepared the ham. And the husband asked, well, why did your mom cut off the ends of the ham? And the wife didn't know. Later, the wife called her mom to find out why she had cut off the ends of the ham. And her mom said, because that was the way that my mom prepared it. Some of you guys know where it's going. The wife's grandma passed away several years earlier, but her grandpa was still living. So she called her grandpa and asked, Grandpa, why did grandma cut the ends off the ham? And he was silent as he thought for a little bit. And then he replied, so that the ham could fit in our baking pan. This is a tale, it's a parable for teaching the importance of understanding the whys of religious rituals. It's not enough, says the legend, to perform something year after year. If observance is to have value, the reasons behind a tradition have to be appreciated as well as the ritual itself that is faithfully carried out. It was this line of thinking that actually led me to research our tradition of the Advent candles and and the season of Advent. Of Advent, because I grew up in a church that never really made a big deal of lighting candles or highlighting certain words and families coming up on stage to do a liturgy reading. In fact, when I first started coming to TCC and Advent season came around, I really thought I was a bad Christian because I had never really done this. And I thought, man, did I, I was, thanks, bud. I, I didn't really think that I was a good Christian because I thought, man, did I miss the chapter in the Bible on Advent? Did I miss this whole Jewish ritual of, of coming up and lighting candles year after year? What, what is it that I missed? But there is no Advent chapter, as you well know, and this it wasn't a Jewish tradition. I'm going to get into a little church history, and so if it bores some of you guys, I'm sorry, but I think it's important for us to really understand what it is that we celebrate year after year, what it stands for, so that when someone comes or you invite them this Christmas season, and we're talking about Advent, and they go, what is Advent anyways that you don't say, I don't know, we light candles and Jesus is coming. But the Advent candle tradition started in Germany in 1839 by a Lutheran minister working on a mission for children. This Christmas season was coming, and he wanted to find a way to teach the kids in the mission with a visible illustration what it looked like to be intentional about being expectant of the celebration of the birth and return of Christ. So he took an old wagon wheel that he had laying around at the mission, and he placed 20 small red candles around the ring and four large white candles Now together, him and the kids, they would light the red candles on the weekdays and the white candles on Sundays. 
Now, over the years, people have built on this illustration. I'm sure women who are tired of looking at an old, dusty, and tarnished wagon wheel in their house added the greenery, forming a wreath. The Advent wreath is meant to symbolize everlasting life in the midst of winter and death. The shape of the circle reminds us of God's unending love and the eternal life that only He makes possible. Additional decorations like holly and berries and pine cones have been added throughout the year and actually help point us to Jesus' sacrifice, right? The holly and the berry, the the red color points us ahead to to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his death, while the pine cones symbolize the new life that Jesus brings through his resurrection. So what we have here in the Advent tradition of lighting candles around a wreath is actually the creativity of an 18th century children's pastor who created a useful illustration of Advent for his kids that was so well-received and looked forward to by the kids that it became necessary every Christmas. And from there, it's been built on and improved year after year. A wonderful tradition nonetheless. So let's talk about the words. Why do we use the words hope, peace, joy, and love? Well, no one really knows who came up with this or when it all started, but we do know that there are other meanings for the candles, and in some churches around the world, they may be associated with actually different aspects of the Advent story. Usually, they're organized around characters or themes as a way to really help unfold the story and direct attention to the celebrations and the worship in the season. So, the sequence could be Bethlehem, shepherds, angels, and then of course you have the fourth, or John the Baptist, Mary the the Magi, or the Annunciation, the Proclamation, and the Fulfillment. But whatever the sequence is used, the scripture readings, prayer, lighting of the candles, the participation of families in the service, all of those are geared to unfolding the story of the redemption through God's grace in the Incarnation. All of them point towards the same thing, regardless of what church history you grew up in, regardless of the tradition that you have. So the word Advent, let's talk about that for a little bit. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming, and the Greek word perugio, meaning presence after absence or arrival. Now this Greek word was used most often in the text to denote the ceremonial arrival of rulers. And so you can see why early Christians who fully believed in the revelation and the promise of the Old Testament God and his prophets would use this connotation. In the early centuries, the churches in the East celebrated both the birth and the baptism of Jesus on January 6th, not December. And they prepared for this with a season of fasting and teaching leading up to this date. And it was in the 4th century that the Eastern Church actually followed the Western Church's lead and adopted December 25th for the Feast of the Nativity. Now, the 6th century Christians actually began celebrating Advent by linking it to the 2nd coming of Christ as the judge who would make his ruling over his creation. Not the baby, not hope, right? They used it as the second coming. And so they they did this by confessing their sins and they were intentional to have a posture of repentance. Now this included themes of accountability for faithfulness at his coming, judgment on sin, and the hope of eternal life. But in the Middle Ages, the Advent season focus shifted to a focus on a time of reflecting on Christ's birth, which is what a lot of Western American Christians link the Advent season to. We focus a lot of our time on the birth and not about his second coming, right? So this is where this this, uh, shift actually took place. And after going back and forth over the next few centuries, these two traditions of self-preparation for Jesus' second coming to judge and the expectant joy of the birth of Christ eventually merged into what characterizes Advent today. 
So now there you have it. When someone asks you what is Advent about, now you can answer it's also it's about the, the, the second coming of Jesus as a judge, one who's going to make all things right, but it's also about looking back to his birth and his first arrival. And that's where these words that we use come to play such an important role for us in the Advent season here at TCC. These words reflect this blend so perfectly. And it's an opportunity for us in the first two weeks to take a hard look at ourselves, at our heart, to really look back at this last year and ask ourselves, where did I misrepresent Christ this year? It's a time to examine the moments when we felt the Lord's tug on our hearts to act, but we turned away from Him. It's a time to come to His throne of grace in full acknowledgement of His promises that the hope that we have in His return to take us home is good and that it's true. Hope is the first word in the Advent season. And if we're going to truly take part in the Advent, then we owe it to ourselves to look back at this year and ask ourselves if we were hope dealers for the Lord. We have a responsibility that we are going to be held accountable for, and that's to share hope with others. The kind of hope that makes the Lord smile. The kind of hope that can alter a person's journey. The beautiful thing about hope is that it's free and that it's easy to give. It flows naturally from the Lord through us when we're in alignment with Him, and there's so many ways that we can do it. We can give hope just by noticing someone else's humanity. We can share hope by taking the time to listen to someone's story. We can share hope by praying for our world in such a needed time. And in this Advent season, we should sense an urge to see, to feel, and to share the hope that we have found in Christ. So the question is, did we do that this year? Did we do that this year for others? And if not, how can we end this year sharing the hope of Christ in a bold way? This idea of looking towards his return in the first two weeks signifies that what, we re- that what we rely on in this temporary home is not enough to satisfy us. And that for us to identify those things that we're leaning on as crutches and to cast them away. These first two weeks are an opportunity for us to be real with God about the things that have happened this year that are hard. The things that happened this year that hurt. The things that happened this year that caused pain. And to bring those things to God. Lament. Lament is a central feature of our faith. Lament means to feel or show or express grief, sorrow, or regret. It means to to mourn deeply. Now we catch a wide glimpse of lament throughout the Old Testament. We see a ton of it. We see it in the people's responses in the Old Testament through weeping and through wailing and the tearing of clothes. And these actions help people release their true feelings and freedom. But I want you guys to see where lament and hope collide if this year has been one of those kinds of years for you so that the Advent season takes on a deeper meaning for you. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 through 24, it says, We are reminded by, or we are reminded by Jeremiah that our grief and despite our grief, that in our grief and despite our grief, we have hope. In our grief and despite our grief, we have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in the Lord. Therefore, because of your steadfast love, because of your mercies, 
because of the fresh start every day, because of your faithfulness, I have hope. The next word in the traditional order is peace. Today we wonder as we listen to the news, is is peace actually possible? Is it truly possible to have peace here? We all need two kinds of peace in our lives as, as human beings. We need inner peace, but we also need peace with others. It's our job as Christians to make peace here on earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Matthew 5, 9. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 34, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Not just the people that you like. Not just the people that look like you. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. These first two weeks of Advent provide us with space to reflect on our responsibilities to be peacemakers in our homes, to be peacemakers in our church, and to be peacemakers in our community, and to atone for the times when we did the opposite. From there, we transition into the final two weeks. The final two weeks of Advent are about looking back to the incarnation of Christ and how joy and love fit so well to guide us through those meditations. Are you seeing how this is actually meant to be so much more than a, a pretty display? Advent is more than just a season. It's, it's more than just a tradition, a celebration, an anticipation. It's only in the light of the Christmas miracle that the Christian faith makes any sense. Without it, it doesn't make any sense. Karl Barth, a Reformed theologian, wrote these words. Unfulfilled and fulfilled promise are related to each other. As are dawn and sunrise. Both promise, and in fact the same promise. If anywhere at all, then it is precisely in the light of the coming of Christ that faith has become Advent faith. The expectation of future revelation. But faith knows for whom and for what it is waiting. It is fulfilled faith because it lays hold on the fulfilled promise. The promise for Israel in the Old Testament and the promise for the church today is Jesus Christ. This is fulfilled faith because we know that he has come and that he will come again. And this is the essence of Advent. So no matter how odd or old this tradition is, the fact remains that it's a present, right? It's a present that we got to see unwrapped this morning. And it's a gift that we get every single year that causes us, young and old, to rush to the box, to shake it. And it creates hope and wonder deep in our hearts and minds that leads us to believe, to search out year after year what's in store through the incarnation of Jesus Christ in our lives. These words are more than just a feeling. Join me as I pray this prayer from Renee Swope. Father, this Advent, Lord, come to the the manger of my heart. Fill me with your presence from the very start. As I prepare for the holidays and gifts to be given, remind me of the gift you gave when you sent your Son from heaven. The first Christmas gift, it was the greatest gift ever. You came as a baby born in a manger, wrapped like the gifts I find under my tree, waiting to be opened to reveal your love to me. Restore to me the wonder that came with Jesus' birth when he left the riches of heaven and wrapped himself in rags on earth. Emmanuel, God with us, your presence came that night and angels announced, into your darkness God brings his light. Do not be afraid, they said to the shepherds in the field. Speak to my heart today, Lord, and help me to yield. Make me like those shepherd boys, obedient to your call. Setting distractions and worries aside, to you I surrender them all. 
Surround me with your presence, Lord. I long to hear your voice. Clear my mind of countless concerns and all of the holiday noise. Slow me down this Christmas. Let me not be in a rush. In the midst of parties and planning, I want to feel your hush. This Christmas, Jesus, come to the manger of my heart. Invade my soul like Bethlehem, bringing peace to every part. Dwell within and around me as I unwrap your presence each day and keep me close to you, Lord. It's in your wonderful name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.